And tonight's show, we see if REA's chief economist, Nerida Connorsby, is seeing a house price recovery. There were some doubts at one stage and uh, she got into a bit of a controversy with another data watching organisation. Be interesting to see what she says now. We find out what a buyer agent, Rich Harvey, does. Uh, he comes from propertybuyer.com.au. It's going to be very interesting to see what he's seeing at the moment and what does the buyer agent actually do. And then we talk to two guys who started a company called M Squared Capital. They lend to property developers, to um, builders and to businesses that are looking for, for investment funds and they uh, they are for sophisticated investors, but their story is a very, very interesting one. That's the show for tonight. Without any further ado, let's go to Nerida Connorsby from REA. Well, controversies over whether the house price rebound is as big as we think uh, is still out there in the, the property debating sector. And joining us now is Nerida Connorsby. The Chief Economist at REA. Thanks for coming on, uh, Nerida. Thanks for having now, me. Now, last time we talked, you caused a bit of a controversy, no, no, not necessarily agreeing wholeheartedly <laughs> with what you've, you've seen. Ha has your view changed in recent weeks or months? Yeah, I mean, we, we're continuing to see a recovery, and mm. you know, we, we could always clearly see that it was on the horizon. Mm. Uh, we're still seeing not as strong a swing mm. as, as what CoreLogic is seeing, and, yeah. and I think this is fundamental. Well, we've had, I mean, obviously, we're looking very closely at our model yeah, to see why CoreLogic swings so far down and so far up, no. and ours is a lot flatter, comparably flat, mm. flatter. And you know, we looked at our data feed, and you know, our data is looking fine. And we, mm. we don't, we fundamentally, I mean, we're no longer selling data to CoreLogic, but mm. we fundamentally don't think we do have data sets that are different enough to explain the differences. Yeah. Yeah. I think what I think what's happening is is related to the model. And I think one of the things that people don't always understand is that an index is modelled, and mm. so. You do rely on, firstly, the model that you use. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of assumptions yeah, that assumptions, you need to make yeah, yeah. around data and what you, you know, how you categorise certain property types. Mm. Uh, and so what I think might be happening is that our model is just categorising things differently. Mm. Our, our model, we, we, we update it when we get new data. Mm. And we, we don't, I mean, we're not sure exactly what CoreLogic are doing, but mm. we don't think that they update it when new data comes in. Per, you know, perhaps we're wrong. Mm. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're continuing to look at it. We're doing a deeper mm. dive in January. Um, we are planning to launch it in around March, um, by which stage, you know, we will have had a thorough review as yeah. to, to what's yeah. going on. I mean, at the moment, what we are seeing, you know, firmly Sydney in recovery. We mm. can see that price growth in Northern Beaches, for example, was roaring ahead and yeah. we've got the inner east doing mm. incredibly well and, yeah. and, and that's, that's the point you made that you you saw that some suburbs weren't, weren't really reacting at all uh, and so it wasn't an even spread yeah mm. and look it's still look every everywhere is pretty much everywhere is recovering in sydney but mm. if you compare Parramatta apartments mm. to eastern suburbs you know you're getting vastly different mm. price growth um, Southwest Sydney is, is performing very, very different to the Northern Beaches. Mm. So, you know, we're still seeing this differential. Um, again, you know, I, you know, I suppose when we launched the index, we kind of didn't necessarily think, I mean, we didn't think it would cause so much mm. outrage. <laughs> quite this surprised. is a very controversial <laughs> yeah, sector I know, of the economy. I, know. I mean, we basically, you know, yeah. we, we developed an index with, well, our home track data science mm. team developed an index. We had it audited by the Deloitte 
uh, data science team. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they, they went through it in a lot of detail yeah. and gave it the tick. And, yeah. you know, we saw this. I mean, it's, and it was funny too, because coming last year when, you know, we, when CoreLogix index, you know, the same way it, it's kind of shooting up now, it's tumbling down very, very fast. We weren't seeing that, mm. but, you know, and I, and I was saying, oh, I don't think it's as bad as what CoreLogic is saying, mm. but then, of course, no one believed me because I'm from a property company. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> and so I was kind of seen as biased, and now it's shooting back up, and we're going, yeah, for sure, there's definitely a recovery. There's mm. no no De doubting mm. it, and it's just the scale at which we're seeing it versus mm. CoreLogic. And I get, look, you make the point, and s some people watching this um, may not be economists. I'd say that would be probably most people watching this. And when you create a model, you put certain weightings on the things that you're looking at. The, the, when I taught, again, it was marginal response coefficients, but I would never use a word like that with normal people watching. But what we would do is we'd, we'd value some things were more important than others. Like, for example, interest rates were more important than, say, the weather. But, and so you'd have higher values. Now, when you guys start constructing your index, you might not have exactly the same weightings on various suburbs, and therefore that could explain part of the reason why your prices not, aren't jumping up as fast. Yeah, potentially. I mean, and also when we have a look, I mean, we've obviously had a look at the models that mm. everyone's using. So we've looked at CoreLogic's model, your method, not, we, we can't look at their model, obviously. No, it's, but we can it's look private. At their method, it's right, it's intellectual course. property. Yeah. <laughs> of course, but, you know, we, we've looked at their methodology. No, I believe we've looked at, you know, the, the type of model it is. We've looked at the ABS model, and, mm. and that's a different model, and then we're using a different model. So, mm. um, you know, on one hand, we're, we're, not, we're not showing lots of swinging around mm. in terms of pr um, pricing, um, CoreLogic is, you mm. know, so maybe it's somewhere in between, I'm, I'm not sure. Okay, there's been talk of quantitative easing. Two questions, do you think they'll do it? And secondly, if they do, what do you think it would do to house prices? Look, at this stage, I'd say no. Yeah. And anyone who is predicting for sure that it's going to happen mm. is probably more of a fortune teller rather than an economist. Yeah. I mean, thing, a doomsday <laughs> fortune teller. <laughs> the, the, the thing is, you know, things are changing so rapidly. I mean, we Brexit, for example, you mm. know, is something that a month ago was looking like it would never be sorted out. And, we're, you know, we are getting closer to a resolution. Mm. The US-China trade issues, again, you know, we every day there is some different story as to, as to what's happening. Mm. So, you know, that, that creates a little bit of, un that creates a lot of uncertainty. Um, you know, I suppose at the moment, if you have a look what the Reserve Bank is saying, when they're saying, turning a gentle corner, you mm. had Ian Harper in the Oz this morning saying the same thing. I mean, he's on the Reserve Bank board, so, you know. He's yeah, but he was independent still. I, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I know, think he's, so. he's a curmudgeonly so-and-so. He wouldn't agree just because he was on the board. No, I don't think, think so either. Yeah. He's an independent thinker. Mm. So, um, you know, so I, I think we're not seeing, I mean, we are seeing house prices increase mm. rapidly, but... You know, and other measures, we're not seeing it moving as quickly, mm. but monetary policy does take time to work. I yeah. mean, you can't cut rates at the start of a month and expect it by no. two weeks later that everything's yeah. moving forward. We used to teach six, six to 12 months before it really kicked in. Look, th this, now I would say probably one of the, the big positives in the market is the fact that house prices are coming back and that can help the economy as well. Do you think they'll cut in February? I know I, it's a guess, but yeah, what's your best look, guess? I, I think Quite possibly, yeah, you know. I, I think I think it is looking more like the bank economists are all saying it yeah, cut, and yeah. you know they they look at things in a lot of depth. So, um, you know, from from the data points that we know are important, you know, obviously mm. inflation is a big one, and mm. wages growth and GDP growth. You know, it's it's looking flat enough to suggest another cut. Mm. Um, 
whether the issue of quantitative easing, though, I think I, I just don't think at this stage we will be moving towards that. No, but I certainly agree with you that, and I'm an optimist, you know that. Um, I was hoping that the tax cuts and the rate cuts would have started to show, but they might show come March or April, and then Josh Frydenberg won't have to do an extra tax cut. But if we don't see anything by April, I think. I'd be penciling some tax cuts for the budget. Yeah, I think so. It will be a more interesting budget. I was, I was mm. in the budget lockup this year, mm. and at the time, I think most people were expecting an ALP win. So mm. it was a pretty low key budget. Yeah. But I do think this, this next year will be more exciting. Okay. Overseas investors, any sign that they're coming back? And I bet you say yes, and they're from Hong Kong. They're from Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> Why wouldn't you if you're living in Hong <laughs> yeah, Kong? Yeah, Hong Kong has surged. Yeah. I mean, we can see surge jumping, but we, we can also see, uh, oh, you know, we're talking to, we obviously talk to developers a lot. They're yeah. our major customers, and they're, a lot of them are doing offshore marketing campaigns over mm. there. So, uh, well and truly, Hong Kong, we, we, asked, we started to see, last month we did start to see a bit of a pickup in a, other Asian hmm. investors looking hmm. at Australia. Yeah. So I guess a lower dollar yeah. helps there as well, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, a lower dollar. And I think hmm. heat coming back into the market. I mean, you've got to, if, if you have a look at, say, Chinese buyers, a lot of them, they're not, they're not inactive. They're, they're in Malaysia and hmm. Thailand and hmm. Japan at the moment, hmm. but they're not in Australia. So I think, you know, the recovery that we're, we're seeing in the market is, is really making a difference. Hmm. Now, one thing you did say earlier, and I wanted to pick up on it, you said, well, you know, um, apartments in Parramatta are not doing as well as those in the eastern suburbs. Is the Parramatta effect uh, linked to the, the homebush structural problem with apartments thing? You know, like if you can get the Opal Tower. Yeah, like, the, yeah. like I, I, if I was buying an apartment now, I, 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 even off the plan, I'd want a low-level apartment complex, I want it to be expensive, and I want it to be a really well-known and great builder. If it was something like a, a relatively unknown builder, it was a really tall tower, uh, that would worry me, you know, you know, if I was just in that buying market. Do you think that's playing on the minds of some people that this, the bigger they are, the more likely they might fall over? I, for sure, yeah. you know, I do, I do think investors are quite worried mm. about it. Um, I mean, I think there's a, I mean, the quality issues are more apparent in Sydney than we, we, we're seeing elsewhere. I yeah. mean, Melbourne does have some cladding issues, but mm. Sydney does seem to have more problems with, with quality. Mm. Uh, I think, I think Parramatta, I mean, what, I mean, the one way we can really see that there is a problem of oversupply there is when we have a look at rental demand and Views per listing in Parramatta, every mm. rental listing we've got in Parramatta at the moment is seeing around 900 views, mm. which, which sounds a lot, but it, it isn't a lot. And compare, and it's actually the same as what we're seeing in Darwin mm. at the moment. So Darwin, the Darwin property market is, is in, in trouble. trouble. Mm. It is in big trouble. Like mm. there's, there's really nothing positive to say about it. Mm. But, you know, Parramatta is seeing quite similar metrics. Mm. And so... Um, it, it'll be okay. I mean, Sydney's growing. Mm. There's a lot of investment in Parramatta. You know, there's going to be a fast it's rail. It's not a good buying opportunity, really, cause given, <laughs> given that yeah, <laughs> that Parramatta does have, economically has a lot of things it going does, on there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, lo That's not Sydney. a tip, by the way. It's not <laughs> advice. We're not giving advice. No, it's we're just not giving advice. educational <laughs> observation. Yeah. Okay. One last one. If someone said to you, well, you know, uh, Nerida, you're the expert from REA, what would be your investment strategy for 2020? Uh, you know, Sydney, Melbourne are recovering. Mm. Uh, you know, I think they're the markets where we will see the most price growth. Mm. So, and then long term, that that's you know, I th 
with property, you do need to hold. Mm. So if you do do better if you hold for long mm. periods of time. So, um, you know, in a Sydney, in a, in a Melbourne, um, getting more specific, you know, we're starting to see, we're starting to see a lot of activity going from Byron up to Southern Gold Coast. You know, mm. I think that strip is Don't tell people, I don't want people going there. No, I'm looking at a place. In Byron? We're in yeah. Cabarita. Oh, Cabarita, yes, yeah, so nice. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's nice, but it's cheaper. <laughs> yeah. And it's close to the Gold Coast Airport. Why am I telling people this? <laughs> uh, I'm killing the... Have you got a development <laughs> No, I haven't. No. I should have. <laughs> anyway, but uh, how about Brisbane and Perth? Because people have been waiting for both of those. Perth's really struggled. Brisbane hasn't been doing much. Are they still looking as though they're on the improve? Look, I think Brisbane's a very steady market. Mm. Um, I, I like Gold Coast mm. better than Brisbane. I, I think Gold Coast, I mean, I don't think, we know Gold Coast has a land supply problem. Mm, okay. So there will be less land available okay. to do houses. So a house on the Gold Coast, I think, would actually do quite well mm. long term, mm. provided they don't release tons of extra land, which yeah. doesn't look like at this stage. And closer to the beach, but closer not to too the close beach. because also, climate also, change gets um, Yeah, well, it's true. <laughs> Um, you know, when we're looking again, looking at search from Sydney, you know, we can see a really strong push up to Gold Coast. Mm. So it does seem to be a key ben beneficiary. So I don't know, I like Gold Coast. Brisbane's fine, you know, it's pretty mm. steady and the oversupply issues have washed through and it's, you know, if you wanted a, a steady market, it would be pretty good. Okay. Um, Perth, Perth is um, highly, I mean, it's a bit like Sydney at the moment, that mm. we are seeing inner Perth starting to do, not starting, it's been doing exceptionally well for quite some time. Okay. So, you know, if you buy somewhere like Subiaco or Shenton Park or City mm. Beach mm. or, um, you know, or Beach, yes, City, I'm trying to think of all the other beach sites. Mm. Suburbs, around Cottesloe the, and so. Cottesloe, that's yeah. the one I was trying to think of. So Cottesloe, they're doing really well, but mm. if you wanted to buy Fringe in Perth, you know, you, I think it'll struggling. be struggling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's so extreme that the amount of activity we're seeing in inner Perth is actually three times more than what Gee. than what we're seeing in in the mm. middle and outer suburbs. So okay. it's 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 quite different. Nerida, thanks very much. Have Thank a great you. Christmas. You too. That's Nerida Consby from REA. Well, at a time when the property market is on the way up, or well, that's what most people think. Uh, I thought it'd be a good idea to talk to someone who's actually at the coalface, helping a lot of people buy homes. His name is Rich Harvey and he comes from a business called propertybuyer.com.au. Rich, thanks for joining us. Great to be with you, Peter. Let's start off just for those people who don't really know what a buyer agent does. What do you do? A buyer's agent is very different to a selling agent. A buyer agent only represents the buyer in the transaction. They work exclusively for them. They help them find the property, appraise the value and negotiate the property for mm. them. So they're their advocate. They're on their side and they're helping them through that whole buyer journey. Mm. But the key distinction is they're paid by the buyer, not by the seller. Right. And so I guess most people will think, well, how much do you pay for someone like you to do it? And then we'll ask, what do you actually do to justify sure. the money? Yeah. Well, what do we do? We follow a seven-step process. So um, if someone comes to us and they want to buy a four-bedroom house in the eastern suburbs, we'd get a brief from that client. We'd give them some research and some suburb profiles, all the stats, the median prices, recent sales. And then we start the searching process. Mm. Um, so then we find a property, we appraise it, we evaluate it very, very carefully, very accurately, mm. and then we negotiate the best price we can for that client. Yeah. And so um, what kind of price would 
they pay you to do that work? So the fee, it's a fixed fee. Mm -hmm. we just, I decided very early on in my career to make it a fixed fee. Mm -hmm. So under a million dollars is the equivalent of 2%. Mm -hmm. Once you get over the million dollar mark, it's a sliding scale. So mm -hmm. by the time you get to around $2 million, it's the equivalent of 1.5%. Mm -hmm. But the key point is it's a fixed fee per price band okay. because I don't want there to be any bias in the way that we negotiate. Okay. And mm -hmm. I guess a lot of people then think, well, okay, if I'm going to pay that to, to Rich, he has to be able to prove to me not only can you find great places, but you also get a better price Justified. than I would get. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So, well, so, so how do you actually pull that double play off? Well, I guess the value proposition, if you like, I mean, that's what you're really asking. It's not just about the price and the fee. Mm. There's a couple of other factors. I mean, you've seen the market's gone crazy. The rebound has been so strong. Mm. We're getting so many frustrated buyers coming to us. Mm. So a couple of things. So it's you're no answering my, my uh, question oh, already. But I guess I guess the value is look, we, we can find properties a lot faster. So mm. it's a huge time saving. Um, it's that that's one of the key things. It is the time mm. saving. It's not just that. Yes, we negotiate. Mm. Um, sometimes we can negotiate a far better price. Yeah. But it's also putting the buyer to the front of the queue. Mm. You know, when you've got ten bidders at an auction or ten or fifteen people all vying for the same property. We advise the client when to walk away and when to make the next bid. Mm. And it's really having that confidant on your side that makes a huge so difference. So you actually turn up to the auction? Absolutely, yeah. 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 Um, I guess a lot of people would be wondering, um, do real estate agents call you when they've got properties? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Oh. Well, that, that's one of the key things. One of our key things that we bring a lot of value to the table is off-market properties. So mm. we get access to pre-listings, mm. properties that will never hit the market. And there's a couple of reasons the vendors might want to sell off-market. Mm. One, they don't want to pay marketing fees. Yeah. So it's cheaper for the vendor. Yeah. Another no one is no things. auction fees, etc. They don't want people traipsing through their home twice a week at open yeah. for home inspections. And they yeah. don't have to style the property. They can just get it as it is and sell it as it is. So, mm. um, but I reckon a key factor with off-markets is there's less competition. So mm. for our buyers, it means we can bring them through. We're not trying to pinch the property. We mm. want to pay a fair price for it, or the lowest we can, but a mm. fair price. And it's great for the agent because they can tick over a few more transactions. Mm. And it's a great seamless transaction for everyone. And do you, I guess you get the, the sort of properties which wouldn't necessarily do well at auction and people need to be able to sort of have a special feel or connection to it. It's not necessarily a special feel to them. Some of these, some of the owners of these properties might be celebrities or politicians. I mean, mm. we've bought a number of those properties for, for our clients through off-market agents. Mm. Um, but it's it can be actually for anyone. Mm. Any, any of those properties could suit our clients. Okay. Mm. So let's go and talk about um, anything that you think, when people come to you as a client for the mm. first time, what do you surprise them in a sense that, they didn't expect that you would do that, but you do do it. Yeah, great question. Uh, um, a lot of our service is intangible. So a lot of people go, I'm not really sure if you can find me the property. Can you guarantee to find me the property I want? Yeah. So let me give you an example. I, I took on a client the other week. They wanted to buy one of the best type of properties in a, in a particular suburb on mm -hmm. the Northern Beaches. Now, I showed them what I call best in show. They had a budget of up to three and a half million. Yeah. So I showed them all of the properties that I could possibly find, mostly off market, and they still said, Rich, it's not good enough. <laughs> so I said, that's fine. Yeah. I said, let's look at knockdown rebuilds. Yeah. So I then had to find a block that was over a thousand square meters in mm. a suburb that has very few properties like that. Mm. So we did a letterbox drop. We actually found a vendor. And, and we found this great property and we negotiated a price just sub two million. Mm -hmm. So I got it for well under their budget. They're gonna spend a million, million point, 1.2 on the build mm -hmm. and they get exactly what they want with a, a, a district, bush view, quiet street, it ticked all the, and now they said to me, Rich, we could never have found this property without you. Mm. So that's just one example. But and it's expertise, isn't it's, it? it's the expertise. It's just knowing that local market yeah. and knowing what to pay. And some people are obviously too busy mm. to do the research that maybe a really, anal retentive person probably could do <laughs> and get close to at least finding the properties that you guys 
Uh, yeah. We'll we get the off-market ones, but they get the on-market ones. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think your point about sort of annual retentives, I mean, you're an economist, I've been an economist in my past life, and so I remember when I got to buy my first property, I was way too analytical, and I, I deal with other analytical types, and mm. I know their thinking, and I think people get stuck in this paralysis of analysis situation. So some people would actually never buy a property unless we guided them through. Yeah, okay. So let's talk about the market now. Mm. You, I was gonna ask you a question. Um, We've had conflicting views from various mm. data watching groups. Mm -hmm. uh, CoreLogic seemed to be telling us that the house prices are rebounding. Mm -hmm. What are you saying? Absolutely. I mean, when ScoMo got back into government, it probably took around a month to two months till confidence in the property market mm. was fully restored and people realised, hey, negative gearing's here to stay. APRA dialed down some of the lending restrictions and then our phone started ringing, on, ringing hot yeah. and it's pretty much stayed that way right through to early December. Mm. So we are definitely seeing a strong depth of buyers mm. and I think one of the critical factors that's been driving the market the last six months is the shortage of listings. Mm. So there's been pent up demand, listings down by 19 to 20% and lots of buyers starting to get that unfortunately FOMO disease again. Mm. Like I go to a lot of auctions and you know, there's 10 to 11 bidders all paying some stupid prices and I just say to my client, no, nah, we're not gonna buy this one. Mm. And in fact, I've transacted you know, three or four properties last month and we've got them for fair prices, mm. even in a crazy market. So mm. the market is definitely rebounding. But I guess yeah. at times you're gonna have to deal with a cranky client as well. That mm. You're saying don't buy, mm. but they had that kind of passion for the property. Mm. How do you manage that? Well, it's about dealing with emotions and expectations, Peter. I think we look, go back to basics and we say to the client, what was your brief? You mm. told me your budget was 1.5 and not a cent over. Mm. Look, and, mm. and I'll be honest with you, if we can't achieve the brief, I won't take them on. Mm. So we just say to the client, I kept, for example, another client um, in the inner west, they, they had a budget of, of 1.5 and we kept missing out. We missed out four times at auction and they were just, you'd see their faces. We mm. go to auction and I would just look, I say, no, we're just, we're out. And I'd say to them, just be patient, the right one will come. And just the other week, uh, transacted a property. It was on market. Mm. It was best and final offer by 4 p.m. Monday, and I made the, the winning bid and got the property for them. And mm. they were just elated, mm. you know. So finally, this weight's lifted off their shoulders when they get there. So mm. it's it's really you know, going through that emotional roller coaster mm. with them and keeping a, a positive attitude all the uh, way through. Are we seeing um, listings starting to increase? I would have thought the headlines about higher prices mm. should help all those people who were disappointed two years ago and and probably rented their property out mm, or something mm. like that. These people will be now thinking about adding to supply. Well, I'm surprised that vendors have been very slow to respond to a mm, rising market. I, I think that, uh, we're talking to a lot of agents, they're saying, you know, I've got 10 listings coming on early, late January for Feb, mm. so I've got 15 listings, so I'm going, fantastic, bring it on. Mm. I think there will be a, a quite a rapid start to 2020, mm. and I think once we see listing volumes get back to sort of normality and not the sub 20% listing levels mm. we've had, price pressure will start to moderate. I don't think price growth will stop next year. Um, I'm going with Louis Christopher's uh, estimations of a 10 to 15% rise in, in the blue chip areas next mm. year, mm. Um, but I do think that sort of really hot pressure market will start to abate probably probably at about sort of April May next year mm, okay um, so if you had to give anyone a tip in the current market who's continually being frustrated mm. by not getting what they want mm. What would you suggest? A couple of things. One, use a buyer's agent, number yeah. one. Um, two, just keep doing your research. Um, look, as, as the year goes on, uh, some people are really fixated on one suburb. Yeah, I was and, ask you and they just go, I just want to buy in this suburb. Mm. And they're already priced out. Yeah. And the problem is they end up going to buy on a main road or next to a petrol station or something that's a really substandard property mm. just because they want that suburb. I'd say to them, 
cast your net further afield. Let's mm. look at the adjoining suburbs. Let's look at a, a rail line or a bus line route that's only two suburbs away, yeah. that's not too far from the schools and the transport, whatever the connections you need. So yeah. think about slightly compromising your standards. Yeah. Yeah. I must admit in my uh, real estate buying uh, career, um, going to the next suburb mm. of a really hot suburb has been a really good way of, yeah. of making money. It's the ripple effect, isn't it? Mm. You know, it's absolutely, you know, like, if you're priced out of one suburb, go to the next one and that growth wave will come because all there's going to be a depth of buyers behind you that all have that same thought pattern as well. Yeah, mm. great stuff. And mm. one final one. Um, do you suspect that we're going to see prices rise this year, uh, 2020, mm. but then stabilise or go up again? I think next year we'll continue to see that early, the first sort of two quarters of next year, as I was saying, I think we're going to continue to see all of those frustrated buyers are still in the market wanting to buy. So if there's not enough, enough listings, that will definitely put price pressure on. Mm. Um, but I also think the other thing, Peter, the developers that are out there, we work with developers to find sites and in talking to them, they haven't been transacting on many sites. Mm. Um, and if you listen to you know, the old mate at the Reserve Bank predicting mm. there's going to be potentially an undersupply, we're seeing supply absorbed already in those areas. And the time it takes from a developer to go, hey, let's put up 100 units here to the time they deliver those mm. units is a long cycle. It could be two to two and a half years. So mm. I think we're going to have strong price growth in the first half of the year and then more moderate price growth, probably you know, 5% per annum thereafter. Okay, well, oh, one mm. last thing, you, you, you bring up the apartments and the, and the development mm. issue. H have uh, you found a lot of buyers wary about buying apartments because of Absolutely. the cladding and the structural uh, building problems? It's like a buyer strike, if you like, for off the plan. People yeah. are just, it's on the nose yeah. at the moment, unfortunately, because there's some really good quality developers out there that yeah. build great stock, you know, like a Mervac, yeah. um, that really build good quality stock. So. Those developers are having to think about a different marketing campaign. They have to nurture the buyers and show, mm. hey, these are the products, the safe products we're building with. Okay. We don't have a track record of, of a lot of litany of defect periods afterwards. Mm. And it's kind of a re-education of a lot of those off-the-plan buyers. So, so do you help people buy off-the-plan? We do. I've used it myself uh, many times quite successfully, but we're very, very selective. I mean, the majority, probably 98% of what we buy for clients is established property. Yeah. The other 2% is brand new where we help foreign buyers or yeah. someone that wants to buy into a new development. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's a first home buyer buying something. So that. if you're going to do off the plan, and mm. I know people like you have reservations about doing it mm. in a general sense, mm. it has to be a top quality development. 100%. So you've got to do a lot of due diligence, not just on the developer, but the builder mm. who's doing that, that yeah. development yeah. And, and make sure, and also get a great property lawyer to check the contract. I mean, yeah. new laws around sunset clauses, but there's a lot of extra checks and balances you have to do. And do you, do you um, make sure that they have a good lawyer? Absolutely. We refer them to a great mortgage broker, a great financial planner, and a, and a lawyer to make sure they've got all the right steps in the process. Okay, mate. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. That's Rich Harvey from propertybuyer.com.au. Guys, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Peter. All right, so I think before we start, people would like to know what is M Squared Capital? Um, M Squared Capital is a non bank lender. Um, we match high quality borrowers um, that are looking for finance, either to refinance or you know, commercial, residential, industrial property mm. with investors that have got money that want to lend their money. Mm. So in a, in a sense, you, you operate like a market. You know, you've got people who want to do buildings of some, some kind and you've got people who want to lend money to those sorts of people. Exactly. I mean, the, the, 
the thing that we also do, which I think is important to understand, is we don't just lend to developers. Mm. Um, we lend to properties along the eastern seaboard mm. and that are existing. Mm. That's our core of what we lend towards. But it is peer-to-peer -peer lending yeah. um, and we match investment. Now, now a lot of people don't understand peer-to-peer -peer lending. Mm. So let's ask Paul mm. Paul, yep. what is peer-to-peer -peer lending? Well, peer-to-peer -peer is basically you have an uh, investor who has a particular requirement mm. and you have a borrower who has a requirement. Yeah. So well. it's people-to-people? People. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, uh, Why don't they use peer? Yeah. Right? Yeah. It instantly makes it harder for people to understand. So it's people-to-people yeah. people uh, lending and, and borrowing. Yeah. All right. So Paul made the point that it's often existing buildings. Mm -hmm. So are we doing massive renovations? Um, what we're seeing in the market at the moment where our niches are mm -hmm. is when we're looking at um, a block of units for argument's sake, Peter, yeah. um, the banks are lending yeah. the people that have constructed these units mm. um, a pretty conservative amount. So they might be lending them 50% of the value of that block of, of yeah. units. Yeah. Where we're finding a good niche is lending those completed stock developments up to say 60 or 65% of that value. Mm. And typically the people that have built those developments yeah. are selling them down. But there's no construction risk, they are there and they're existing. Yeah. So, so you're lending to the potential buyers of these properties or to the actual builders themselves, the builders slash developers? We can do either, yeah. but yeah. typically where we're finding the, the niche is with the person that's actually developed the stock. Mm, okay. Now, and explain again why that person uh, might need to get more money. They've already got money from the banks and yeah. they've done pre-sales in some cases. Correct. And, and so are you saying sometimes yeah. along the way they might need an extra three or four million dollars to complete it perfectly and the bank's not going to give them any more and they haven't done enough pre-sales yeah. so they go to a group like you? Well, it, it's not necessarily that situation. Mm -hmm. Normally you have a construction lender giving them finance for a specific purpose. Yeah. Once the project is finished, yeah. um, the, there's a requirement to have a refinance done so to allow for a sale. Mm. So predominantly a bank policy would be is to say that, okay, we'll, we're happy to lend you the money uh, for, for the block of apartments that you have left mm. over or the mm. security that you have left over. We would like you to actually rent them out. So for the developer, mm. in that instance, it's not very favourable because the minute that he rents it out, it's harder for him to sell. Yeah. And there's that brand new finish. Yeah, is, is yeah. not necessarily there, okay. so the price goes down. So, so in simple terms, then, there might be 50 apartments to the block, there might be 10 left over. Precisely. And the banks could say, well, you rent them out, but they would prefer to try and sell them. But, yep. and, and so you guys come along and say, well, we'll bankroll you for yep. those 10, and when you sell them, you can pay us back and so on and so forth. Precisely. If it takes you a year, you guys get a year's worth of interest. Correct. Yeah. Okay. But the more important part of that is that it's a structured facility. Mm. So it's structured to exactly what the borrower requires. And mm. so that's, that's what we come in. We find gaps in the market mm. or niches mm. that are not being fulfilled. And is it, is it better for you because at least in most cases they're finished? And so, yeah. so rather than sort of keep my fingers crossed, will the developer actually complete it? What you're gambling on is can you sell the property? Precisely. Okay. And so we do a very uh, strong due diligence in relation to the demand supply of that particular mm. area. Yeah. We will take a position of an understanding of how long it would normally take that particular developer to mm. sell yeah. down the property as well. Yeah. And so we make sure that the terms of the facility enables them to do it as well. Okay, so uh, two years ago, you might have had a few anxious moments when prices were falling and people sure. weren't buying. Uh, since the election and since interest yeah. rate cuts, you guys have stopped losing hair. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, you haven't lost any. I'm going great. No, no, no. Okay, yeah. so but there's, 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 there
what you think would be the best as well. So yeah. if you lend to a very competent borrower yeah. who has under, a good understanding, good track record, mm. they'll make the right decision and mm. you can work with them to actually make it work. Yeah, and the fact that banks, because of APRA, were playing hardball on lots of good quality borrowers, right. I guess that created opportunities for you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Like we're dumbfounded by the quality of the deals that we're seeing now yeah. that historically the banks would have jumped at. Yeah. So the, the opportunity mm. for us is great because we've got great quality borrowers not taking construction risk yeah. and that's what our investors are telling us they're loving. Yeah. And, but we have to be, be fair, this is not a term deposit, so it's, no. it's more risky. So what kind of, what kind of borrowing rates um, are the builders slash developers paying to you? Yeah. And, and what, if someone decides to you know, roll the dice with you guys, what are they getting? What kind I'll, of, I'll give you an example. I'll numbers. give you an example. Like yeah. In the recent past, we've been charging around 9% to the developer builder. The developer builder. Yeah. And we've been giving our investors net 7.5% to them. Jeez, so you know, I mean, a pretty small We're doing, and, look, yeah. we can run pretty lean. And charitable. <laughs> charitable <laughs> bank lenders. Yeah. I mean, look, yeah. the reality is as well, in terms of it, you drawing the comparison to a term deposit, I think mm. it's important just to touch on that. Yeah. We've done our analysis and we got actually BIS um, Shrapnel to look at it. Yeah. And in Sydney, the biggest peak to trough drop of a residential mark was about 18% the last mm. two years, mind you. Mm. So when we're lending in this situation and giving our investors net seven and a half, mm. we're typically not giving the borrower more than 65% of the value of that actual asset. Mm. So we stress tested it, mm. stress tested it, and even mm. when it dropped the most it has historically mm. of say 20%, mm. our investors would have got their money back in full with their interest, which mm. I think is important to know. Mm. Uh, so. From your point of view then, um, your environment for lending and paying people back mm -hmm. is going to be improved if the Aussie economy improves. Absolutely. Now, I know you guys are an economist, mm -hmm. I've got my view on the economy, but mm -hmm. you also would be taking uh, views from yeah. like BIS Rapnel or BIS Oxford Economics, yeah. they call themselves now those. Yeah. Yeah. Are they giving you guys confidence that the next year or two is okay? Look, in 2016, mm. I think it was testament. We saw a little bit of a, a top of the market. Mm. Um, we, look, in, mm. our, in our business, we are lucky that we have got the opportunity for our investors to choose what type of risk profile they want. Yeah. In 2016, we were doing MES finance. Mm. So our investors... MES finance? No people watching. Sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> MES, it's, a, it's not a first mortgage position, but yeah. a second mortgage position, let's okay. say. A little bit higher on the risk curve than, yeah. your, than, than what we've discussed at yeah. the 65% mm. first mortgage market. Mm. Okay. As soon as we saw the toppy market, so mm. we thought it was particularly in the Eastern Seaboard at the higher level, mm. we decided as a business to get out completely of that mm. higher risk style lending. Yeah. Um, as I've said before, it, it dropped 20% in that period of time. Mm. Now we are a little bit more bullish with the market. We do see it tipping up. Mm. So we are seeing some really quality second mortgages mm. and some of our investors who really love that risk can take that. So we have changed the type of deals that we are putting up to our investors. Mm. Um, but we do see it a little bit, particularly the S&C board that we are lending in. So are you saying that some of your deals are less risky than others and therefore you'll pay a lower interest rate? Absolutely. And, and as you go up the risk curve, with your borrower, yeah. therefore the lender, the, the, yeah. the people who come to you, they get slightly higher. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's important that you're transparent on what the type of deals 
that you're seeing. Yeah. So we've got a similar philosophy mm. that if they you because you're both accountants? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, maybe. It does, it does put us on the more conservative yeah. side. It's like the bland leading the bland, yeah. isn't yeah. it? Thank well, you. Well, I, I I'm an economist. I've got to pick on accountants. <laughs> you know yeah. But but interesting part is that we have a lot of investors who have a, a very big appetite for high-risk transactions. It's and amazing, have, isn't it? And, and they want to have mm. that exposure because they like the returns. And we have a lot of investors who want the lower, lower, lower risk as well. Mm. So what we have our structure, which is a contributory fund, is mm. allowing investors to choose the type of risk profile of deal they want to have, mm. which is really important. Mm. Um, not only that, is that we have, the whole reason we started this business is that we believe that if you invest into a mortgage, you need to be able to see what's underneath the bonnet. Mm. So all the difficult questions that you ask the borrower in relation to who they are, what's the security, uh, what's their competency, what is their cash flow, all that research or that analysis is given to our investors. Mm. And they can make their own decision in relation to that transaction, mm. which makes it quite excited. Well, we're quite excited that, right. that we're able to deliver that to our investors. Okay. And, and what's the minimum amount someone can invest with you guys? It's $100,000. Okay. And Does that mean that they have to be sophisticated investors? Yes, that's correct. Okay. It means they're not, they're not protected by the Consumer Credit Act, that's but right. because they're sophisticated, therefore, therefore okay. Okay. Yep. So, so guys, you know, I've asked you the questions I would ask if I didn't know much about you. Um, is there anything else we should know? Yes, I think there is, um, Peter. When you're investing in something, Paul mentioned before, you need to understand exactly what you're investing in. Mm. M squared capital is a simple philosophy. We lend money against eastern seaboard properties mm. only. Mm. We don't do anything specialised. Mm. It's very vanilla. Mm. Mm. Um, we are on the conservative side of the risk profile. Mm. But the difference with us with a lot of other people is that if you want to see the whole due diligence of a deal, and you actually want to see and go into the nitty gritty of why we're actually doing a deal, mm. we will give you all that information on yeah. request. Okay, so if an investor is going in and you're lending money to a, a development in Bondi Junction, for example, mm -hmm. that person could actually go and do their own due diligence on it. We would give get you their, their accountant or their advisor absolutely, to look at it. but yeah. we would give you our whole due diligence pack, which would have the valuation we conducted on the property. Mm the due diligence on the actual borrower, mm. our commentary, our internal commentary mm. notes on why we would do the deal. Yeah. And we actually risk rate things. So we've got a kind of a, a risk rating model where we'll have green for the lowest risk, we'll have mm. orange for medium risk, and we'll have red when you're up the yield curve. Yeah. Our investors are telling us they like that because the green people that want the lower risk, they'll see mm. our green light come via mm. email yeah. and they'll look at it. If they see the red light, they say, well, that's it not the risk for us. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, just explain to us mm -hmm. what you do with the due diligence. Okay, so the due diligence pack has all those critical questions that we discussed previously mm -hmm. in relation to who the borrower is, mm -hmm. what is the security, uh, what's the purpose of the funds, uh, what's the cash flow of the borrower, how strong is it? Mm -hmm. um, so all those elements collectively uh, allow us to actually give it a risk rating and mm -hmm. a risk assessment of the entire transaction. Mm -hmm. What we find is a lot of people judge a particular transaction on one or two elements, but I think it's more comprehensive to look at all the elements to understand mm -hmm. uh, whether you should be investing in the transaction. And so you're effectively showing the, 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 the potential lender all the stuff that you went through before you said, yes, we'll lend to this person. Precisely. Okay, right. Now, one other thing, you said earlier that you just don't lend for, for property or, or buildings. What else do you guys have? Look, we, 
only 10% of our business is lent to property developers in a construction format. Mm. We only do lend to property mm. on the Eastern Seaboard of Australia. So yeah. when we're not a, mm. a fund that does weird and wonderful things. We mm. do what we love, which is property. Yeah. But we do lend to people that are looking to buy industrial property, to buy a commercial property mm. and that want a little bit more flexibility than the banks are. Yeah. So I think the misnomer mm. that non-bank lenders like M Squared are lending only to property developers mm. and mm. you've got construction risk mm. is not right. Yeah, okay, so and because you're accountants, you basically would look at any business proposition and assess it, Certainly. you know, what's the likelihood the person's going to pay back? Absolutely. What can we charge them? Right. And yeah. therefore, what can we pay the investors that come, come exactly. on Exactly. As long as, and look, the property, the actual security or the collateral that we are taking mm -hmm. is a very important aspect of what we're doing because we only yeah. do collateral lending. We don't yeah. lend to businesses. Yeah. But a story about why he didn't make as much money last year than, and he's making more money this year will mm. take a bit of a, a different view than what the banks will. Yeah, okay. And so, once again, a, an investor would be able to look at the due diligence on that particular business so as well. We'll give them all the all yeah. the cash flow okay. so that they can see how the guy's actually going to repay the loan that's secured by the property. That's Paul Miliotis and Paul Mirren from M Squared Capital. Well, that's the show for the night. I hope you enjoyed it. This is our last one for this year. We come back on January 20 or the week of January 20 and we'll see you then. Have a great Christmas and thanks for joining us over the course of 2019.